The Old Testament reading this morning is Psalm 32, which can be found on page 553 of the Pew Bibles. Blessed is the one whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the one whose sin the Lord does not count against them, and in whose spirit is no deceit. When I keep silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy on me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. Then I acknowledged my sin to you and did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the guilt of my sin. Therefore, let all the faithful pray to you, or you may be found. Surely the rising of the mighty waters will not reach them. You are my hiding place. You will protect me from trouble and surround me with the songs of deliverance. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my loving eye on you. Do not be like the horse or the mule, which have no understanding but must be controlled by bit and bridle, or they will not come to you. Many are the woes of the wicked, but the Lord's unfailing love surrounds the one who trusts in him. This is the word of the Lord. The New Testament reading for today is from Ephesians 2, verses 4 through 10. It may be found on page 1174 in your pew Bibles. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved, through faith. And this is not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. Not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks, George.
Good morning. Um, I just I spent like the first part of the service frantically looking for the contents of this book, and it was right there. Uh, <laughs> anyway. Um, I, uh, I am becoming increasingly convinced that the majority of our discipleship, um, the majority of what it takes or what it is to follow Jesus, uh, is just to learn to rest in what God has already done for us. Just to receive the gift that has already been given. So much of our lives is spent striving um, after some, something, right? And we might not even actually know what that is. You know, pleasing our parents or pleasing everyone. Uh, succeeding at school and our careers. Protecting ourselves from judgment or criticism or ridicule. Getting to the end of the to-do list, even as we know that the to-do list will never actually end. But it seems like, like it always kind of seems like there might be some promised land, promised land at the end of the list, right? But you never get there. Somehow, in all of these things, I think that we're striving after um, convincing ourselves that we're enough. Like our culture loves people who do the striving well. Right? The mother who works full time and still wakes up at early in the morning to complete her PhD work. Like, we love that lady. I want to be just like that lady. Right? The entrepreneur who starts multiple companies, the self-made millionaire. The kid who wrote a novel by the time they were 13 and is now fighting climate change. Like, we love people who achieve at astronomical levels. And there's nothing wrong with any of those things. They just won't complete you. They will never stop the striving. There will always be another thing that you can do that somehow might make you okay. For me, I think it's that striving that tends to be at the root of my sin. I am my meanest when I am most stressed. And usually that stress is because I'm afraid that someone might think that I'm not okay. That someone might think that I'm not a good mother, or I'm not a good Christian, or I'm not a good person, even if that someone is me. Or like, I just can't get all the things done, or I can't get them done fast enough or well enough, and the pressure to do more and more and to do it faster and better just weighs on me. And when I get caught up in all of that, I do not love well. I am not joyful or peaceful or patient or kind. I don't know, maybe you can relate. Maybe different pressures, but the same kind of striving. The same kind of ever-retreating promised land at the end of the list. Um, I'm starting to think that all the evil in the world might come back to this kind of striving to prove that we're okay. Wars are started because some world leader needs to bolster their ego. Racism continues because white people need to believe that we're okay and it's a little easier if someone else is a little less okay for some reason. So what if instead of trying and trying and trying to scrabble away from not okay, 
What if we just accept it? What if we're not okay? And what if that's actually part of the good news? Because if we can accept that we're not okay, it means that we can stop trying to prove that we are. It means that we can let go of all the pressure and just be. The author of Ephesians 2 tells us exactly that. As long as we're living in the ways of the world, you are not okay. Actually, you're dead, he says. But it turns out that dead is exactly what Jesus needs for resurrection. It's very possible that I stole that line from Robert Capon. Um, (laughs) He has lots of... He's big on us being dead. Anyway, he says this. (laughs) He says this. We are raised, reconciled, and restored, not because we're thrifty, brave, clean, and reverent, but because we are dead, and our life is hid with Christ in God. Because, that is, Jesus has this absolute thing about raising the dead. In the Gospels, he never met a corpse that didn't sit right up. He also says this, It is Jesus who is your life. You can utterly fail and still live the life of grace. You can fold up spiritually, morally, or intellectually and still be safe. Because at the very worst, all you can be is dead. And for him who is the resurrection and the life, that just makes you his cup of tea. The long and short of our faith is this. Jesus has done everything for us. And we can rest in that. And it turns out, if you're not scared all the time, striving all the time, it's easier to be obedient to the things Jesus has to say. It's easier to love one another. And even if you can't access that rest, if you go around striving as much as the rest of them, anxious, afraid, even biting people's heads off in the midst of it, Jesus has still done everything for you. The gift is still yours. Our passage says over and over again that our salvation is with and in Jesus Christ. We have been raised with Christ. We have been seated with Christ. We have received God's kindness in Christ. We are created and recreated in Christ. Our discipleship is largely to learn to relax into what Jesus has already done. Into God's pervasive and unending grace. In that space, there is no need for self-protection or striving. There is only gift, grace, and the love of God. That means that our achievements as people, like as Christians, as servants, as responsible adults, those are not the same thing as maturity in Christ. Being mature in Christ amounts to this, knowing and relying on what God has already done. 
relaxing into grace, giving up on trying so hard, even if you're really good at trying hard. Uh, years ago, I caught a sense of what it was like, um, what it feels like to rest in God's grace when I was swimming in Lake Michigan. Uh, I waded out into the water past all the screaming kids and crashing waves, and I laid out on my back with my arms stretched out, staring at the sky and just floating. That's a profound thing to surrender yourself to something bigger than you, like to let yourself drift on a large body of water, stretched out and vulnerable. It's a really good picture of our life with God. Being a Christian is not about striving or straining. It's not about trying really hard to be better. In the water, you can only strive for so long before it overtakes you and you drown. But if you spread your arms and just breathe, it will hold you up. The Christian life is about resting in the gift that we have already been given and letting that transform us. We can only relax into it, but learning to relax into it, learning to trust it, that's where the transformation comes, and it can be difficult. It feels really vulnerable. But that's where faith is built, right? Faith, like that's what faith is. It trusts enough to make itself vulnerable to the thing it trusts. Faith is not just signing your name on a list of beliefs. It is trusting in those things and the God behind them enough to live by them so that you rise and fall with them. It can feel vulnerable, like dangerous even. But as we learn to trust more and more, we learn to rest there no matter what is happening around us. We learn to let down our guard and stretch out our arms, stare at the sky and just breathe, trusting that the waters of grace will hold us. That's one reason why confession is such a good practice. It reminds us how much we need God's grace, right? That we can't just do it all on our own. When you confess, confessing knowing already that God has already forgiven it all. Then both sides of that truth, admitting the sin and accepting the grace, become incredibly freeing. Right? Not that you, like, go out and sin more, but just that you're not surprised that you would do it. Right? And so then it doesn't trap you in these, like, spirals of shame. It's just what you kind of expect. And God is there in the midst of it. Confession becomes one way of stretching your arms out. Because as you look inside yourself and open all of that up to God, you learn about how God still and always turns towards you. God knows it all. Every good intention, every dirty thought, every secret longing, every deep humiliation every pain, every hope, every love. God knows it all and still loves you wholly and thoroughly. 
in the face of a grace like this, the richness of God's mercy, the kindness expressed towards us in Jesus, this great love, we just don't have to protect ourselves anymore or spend our lives in distraction or in bolstering ourselves up. We can lay it all bare, unafraid, and find that as we stretch wide, we are buoyed up by the love and grace of our God. And it is not the begrudging love of someone who um, puts up with you anyway, but a love that longs for you and seeks you out, a love that runs to meet you, that welcomes you into its house with joy and invites you to sit down at the feast, a love that calls you friend, beloved, Christ's own forever. This being free and loved, this is where life begins. Because of the incomparable riches of God's grace, God's great love for us, we are made alive in Christ. In the waters of God's grace, we don't need anyone or anything to tell us that we're okay, that we're loved. Like so much of what we strive after just falls away. It's just not important anymore. This is God's gift, God's love, freely given to you. No more need to protect yourself or prove yourself. You just get to relax into grace, to float in it. Others might condemn you, but God will not. God did not send Jesus into the world to condemn it, but to save the world through him. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And it's not that we never do anything. It's actually kind of the opposite. The end of our passage in Ephesians that's all about how all of this is such a gift, it says that we are created in Christ Jesus to do good works. Good works that will never, ever, ever earn us a place in God's graces because that's already ours. But good works are what we're here for. Through them to declare God's glory to the world. But not because we have striven after them and fought for them and tried really, really hard, but because they flow naturally out of the rest that we find in God's love. And if you truly find this place of love and grace, if you feel yourself enveloped by it, how could you not live differently? How could it not melt you and soften your sharp edges and ease your fears and tensions? How could, it, how could you not long for others to find it too? How could it not birth in you the fruit of the Spirit and you find yourself joyful and peaceful and patient and kind and gentle? This place of resting in God is where you find the power of God that is available for you. Thomas Merton said that a saint is not someone who becomes good, but someone who has experienced the goodness of God.
we are to be a people shaped by this incredible grace. Not by a world that demands that you earn a place in it. Show us that you're worthy. Not by our every desire and craving, which so often lead us astray down that wrong path. Not by the enemy who seeks to destroy us, but by a love that surrounds you and holds you up. That lets your vulnerability be the very thing through which you are saved. A love that knows the darkest corners of your hearts and invites you to open even those to it. A love that will never let you go. This um, table, which we will celebrate um, every day through Lent, is another great way of stretching our arms wide. At the table of God's mercy, you only receive. To participate in this feast, you don't have to have your understanding of God and the world and yourself and all your theology nicely buttoned up and squared away. You don't have to have your faith all figured out and all your questions answered. You don't have to be morally perfect by any stretch. Actually, it's the point of it is that you're not. You don't have to have your life in order or your dishes done. You just have to be hungry. If everything in your life is going great, then this gift is for you. And if everything seems chaotic or confused or just exhausting, this gift is for you. The table is the place where God's gifts become physical, bread and juice, tangible, and actually nourishing. You know, we'll hear more about this in the coming weeks, but we don't... um, We believe that communion is a means of grace. And what that means is that it's one of the ways that God communicates, that God gives God's grace to us. Um, It's not just a symbol. Something happens here. And that's not dependent on you. It's not dependent on you understanding it. Whether you ask for it or knew to ask for it or not, whether you know how to think about it or not, whether it feels meaningful for you or you just go through the motions, it is the body of Christ given for you. It is the blood of Christ shed for you. Because even while we were his enemies, Christ died for us. Like all of our faith, this is the gift of God. And it is freely given. Let's pray together. Lord, may we know your love, how high and deep and wide and long it is. May we know the measure of your immeasurable grace. May we learn to rest in it. 
May we learn to find ourselves released by it. Held up. Loved, softened. Filled by it. Thank you for your mercy. Amen.